gonna rock the shade Gonna scream my name Make you shout now, honey Gonna make you whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. And now, here's a double shot from our featured artist today, Kenny Shore. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs. Sometimes 
from his brand new release and we got Kenny on the line right now. Hey Kenny, how are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. You know, I'm trying to stay out of trouble, but it's not one of my many talents. So I just put an effort in, you know? Now, this is the first time you've been on our show and we always like to give our fans this opportunity to get to know an artist. And the best way to do that is to to look at their story, their their journey up to this point. So give us the story of Kenny Shaw. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, well, I um, just recently um, 
switched over for the third time in my life to back to playing full mu- full time music. I've uh, been a psychotherapist for many years and uh, did that to raise the kids. But I kept playing gigs and writing songs and making albums and and all the, the whole time. Um, so it was a uh, that was where my passion was, and I finally reached a point where I could afford to to drop the, the day job and uh and but in the past year i've been working on this album and so it was just great timing i i've got uh uh been working on uh the best album of my life and i've got uh uh so anyway let me see let me back up a little bit uh i played music uh in college and uh tried uh took my at it playing full-time in my early 20s uh and booking myself around north carolina south carolina virginia and uh and had a lot of fun with that but i only could go so far with it it seemed like and i put out a little single and uh and did a couple of cool openers uh and whatnot but uh, i just reached this point and i got interested in some of the new music in the 80s of um uh, that was coming out, and so I put a band together and got a, a day job, <laughs> and, so, uh, and so I did that for a little while, and then uh, decided uh, this isn't going. You know, couldn't quite get the record deal signed, and uh, so moved to New York briefly, uh, studied audio engineering up there, and I thought my my main thing is songwriting, and uh, I've always been um, very. Uh, passionate about it. I, I I started writing songs on the guitar when I was 15, 16. And by the time I was 18 and went off to college, I had 100 songs under my belt. And um, they were, um, a lot of them were not very good, but it was, I was putting in the time, you know, and learning the craft. And um, so, um, so anyway, to, to move forward to the, uh, moved to New York and um, then decided to raise a family, he said, "Well, we can't do this up here. We need to move back home, be close to family." So, uh, raised uh, three kids in um, Raleigh, North Carolina, and uh, always, uh, except for that little stint in New York, I uh, lived in two or three different places in North Carolina uh, most of my life. So, uh, um, so I don't know if this is convoluted enough for you, but uh, <laughs> that's okay. Well, you know, I'm actually I'm I'm a native New York myself i mean that's where i originally come from uh i know my deep southern accent is throws people off all the time you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah i mean and i uh ironically i studied audio engineering in the late 70s up in new york at the new school um that's where i studied uh where did you go where where did you learn your audio yeah so i went to the institute of audio research down there in the village as, um, yeah, yeah. They claimed, to, yeah, they claimed it was the oldest audio school in the country. So I said, "By, okay. by golly, I want to go to that one." And so, uh, and, uh, and then I, yeah, I got some jobs. I worked in some studios up there. Worked at a, a rehearsal studio, SIR, and that was a lot of fun. Um, you know, getting to to set up and run sound for Saturday Night Live band as they were rehearsing, or Harry Connick, or you know. Sonny Rollins, different people, you know, all kinds of music. It was so exciting. I, I had a lot of fun. But I was still frustrated. It's like, ah, I want to be playing. I want to be singing. You know, so uh, 
So this was a thing that just kept haunting me for a while. Okay. So, um, well, let's talk about yeah. this new release. Um, when you put yeah. this out, what was your goal for this? I, you know, I was going to make a, an, an EP. Um, a buddy of mine uh, took me over to Chapel Hill. He said, you're going to love Jerry. Uh, Jerry Brown uh, owns uh, the Rubber Room recording studio in Chapel Hill, and he's recorded Doc Watson, a lot of Americana uh, uh, big names uh, uh, in that genre of music. Uh, uh, Steve Canyon Rangers, the bluegrass band, um, Rhiannon Giddens and the, the Carolina Chocolate Drops, who uh, won a Grammy you know, um, in, several years ago, and um, uh, Mandolin Orange, who are now called Watch House, and Adam Rabbits and all, all these Mitsa and all these great Americana bands coming out of North Carolina. And so Jerry had worked with uh, the Red Clay Ramblers back in the day. They were on uh, uh, on Off-Broadway, uh, a string band from North Carolina, and he'd, he'd worked with them for years. And so he was just, a, we were just like a perfect match. It, it was like we just hit it off and became buddies and we make each other laugh and, and, but he's got a great vision. And so, uh, so I got excited, uh, working with him and I said, yeah, I can't afford to do too much of this. And I just kept going, you know, after I, we did those first four or five songs, I would come in and I'd say, well, Jared, I've got a new, I've got a new one. And he said, well, let's hear it. And I'd play it and he'd say, yeah, I love it. Let's, let's record it. And so that just kept happening. And now we've got 12 songs. And so <laughs> it just evolved into, uh, all right, let's, let's do this. And, uh, and he, he, uh, he did a, he's just got a vision and I trust him. And that's something I, you know, that takes uh, a lot for me to, to feel comfortable. Uh, that, and, uh, he heard things in my songs that I had not heard. Uh, you know, instrument wise and and uh, the direction of the song and all. So nice. Okay, now let's talk about your process as a songwriter because I always find that interesting. Uh, when you sit down to begin to write, what what is your mechanism that you use to kind of trigger the muse and get her going? Well, um, you know, I've been writing for so long that I've done it from all kinds of different angles. In different ways, but but the majority of the time there is a hook, and that usually has some sort of a melody to it. And there's a phrase that grabs me, and and I say, "Oh my gosh, that's the that's the the uh, seed for uh, for something bigger." And uh, and if it's a really um, good one, then I will just build around that around that hook um that that's how it happens a lot of the times not not always uh i've done it from everything from sitting at a bar scribbling gibberish and then then pulling it out later and going oh there's a line or two in here that's pretty good you know i've done all kinds it's come from all different angles uh but but most of the time it's the uh something has grabbed me um uh that that um, pulled me emotionally to uh, toward it. Um, recently, I, uh, for this album, I had um, two songs that had sort of a surreal um, thing. They, they one of them came out of a dream, 
that I had. And uh, so I woke up in the middle of the night, and that's happened a couple of times before, where I woke up with a song. Uh, and what's great about being play, playing music full time is there's no you know nine o'clock job that you have to get to, and uh, so I don't have clients to see, you know. Uh, and so I can, if it's three o'clock in the morning, I can say, well, let's go grab a guitar and write this thing, you know. So I, so I ended up writing. Um, one of the songs for the album that way I woke up with an image in my mind and, and a story okay. and uh, yeah. so well, yeah. you know I find that um, melody and lyrics are almost two different functions of the brain you know because lyrics are very it's a craft you know it's a very structured type of thing where you have a story you have continuity you got rhyme you've got meter uh, you've got the cadence but melody's a little different. Some songwriters like to use uh, just a groove, just you know, rhythmic background to kind of allow the melody to freeform, while others look at the cadence of the lyric and allow that to suggest the melody. When you start looking for your melodic elements to your songs, what, what do you use? What's your go-to to find melody? Hmm, that's a... That's a tough question because it's sort of a, an almost an unconscious um, um, experience. I, I am um, a lot of times it, the the hook of the song, the the catchy phrase, comes on on the really good songs. <laughs> it seems like that they're already married. It, it's already it, it just happens. Uh, um, they I just hear a melody with that now sometimes that ends up changing but but most of the time it's something that's that's there um I, and i will just uh sometimes chords will affect that so i will strum chords but i don't have a a way of um a, a, a structured way uh of doing melody um I'm very careful about making sure that it's uh, it's not too, um, you know. I, I want it to be interesting. I, it's not too boring. I, I don't want it to. As I've heard songs before, I'm like, God, just, just change, change a couple of the notes there, please. It's getting on my nerves. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, yeah. But it, it, it's it's ethereal. I can't quite put my finger on why where those are coming from but uh all right i've got i've got one that that has been haunting me for 30 years um and i'm i was talking to a girlfriend the other day about it um i wrote lyrics to it um i wrote a song in the 90s and put it on one of my uh albums and it's a dark song but the melody is so lyric and beautiful and I catch myself humming it in the shower and humming it unconsciously and I'm like what is that about me oh it's that and so I have vowed to write new lyrics to it because I wrote dark lyrics about one of my clients uh, who was in a domestic violence um, relationship and and so it was just you know one of those things where ah, the lyrics are dark and 
sad and depressing, and the melody is so cheery. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. So I've been trying to find new lyrics for that, and I just haven't sat down and and, and made it happen. I've tried, but it's not been successful. So so sometimes the, the melody is just so, um, uh, it just, yeah, I don't know. It just comes to me. You know, it, it sounds like, you know, being a psychotherapist, it gives you a deep well of uh, inspiration to find subject matter for, for songs. Is you, Are you finding that as, as, as a place that you normally go to, to kind of find where not Not really. Not, you know, you would think, you would think I would. Um, and I have done that a little bit, but those those seem like contrived songs, and I just don't. Uh, the my strong suit is is telling personal my own personal stuff. Uh, I tend to bear my soul in my songwriting, and so when I'm writing about, uh, a, you know, a few times I've done that where I've written from the perspective of a of a patient, a client of mine. It's just never felt uh, like it was. Authentic. You know, uh, yeah, right, right. Thank you. Yes. Okay. And so I, I tend to write more from my heart and, um, you know, what's going on with me um, in in whatever I'm experiencing. So, now, you um, know, a lot of songwriters have embraced technology as tools in their writing, whether it's the cell phone or home recording studio or even software like master writer or even the rhyming dictionaries that are on online what are some of the tools that you find have been um, indispensable to you as a writer um, in your toolkit yeah so so um you know years ago it was a cassette player and i just i would just pop in a, a blank tape and because I was afraid that I might forget this melody and these chords <laughs> and the mood and the mood of the song. And, uh, um, and so I did that for a while. I even used my daughter's little, uh, little cassette player that she had <laughs> when she was a toddler. And I would use that because it had a great mic on it. It sounded good. And so, <laughs> and then, uh, but now, uh, yeah, I use my, uh, the uh, the voice recorder on my phone uh and i got to thinking about that the other day like i'll go back and find stuff and oh i forgot i wrote this this is this is a pretty good song you know wrote it two years ago forgot all about it and so i thought oh my gosh i'm you know i'm leaving it up to fate <laughs> if, I, if that all crashes i'm those are some there's some really good ideas here but that's my go-to for uh let me just get a quick version of this down real uh you know just to and I'll send it to. I've got some songwriting buddies and musician buddies that uh, that uh, uh, I will occasionally. I'll shoot off a a, a little voice recording version and say, "Yeah, what do you guys think about this?" You know, or, or uh, you know, just get their feedback. And uh, that that's um, yeah, that's that's what I do. And with this album, I would just uh, then work it tweak it and then go in and say jerry i got something let's and he said which which vintage guitar do you want to play it on yeah. and so 
he's got a collection. I was like, oh my gosh. I go in there and he says, yeah, let's put a click tack to it. So we'll, we'll build from there. All right. Now, um, talking about the songs and finding them on your phone and that, you know, there is that moment that every songwriter has to face in their process. And that's the moment where you need to let the song go. You need to let the band put their fingerprints on it, the producer do their thing. And every songwriter has their way of quantifying when a song is ready to move to its next phase. You know, because it's never really done. It's always evolving. It evolves in the studio. It even evolves when you go out and play it live. What is your quantifier? What do you do to determine when a song is ready to move on to that next phase? Yeah, I ideally, I I really do like to, to do test runs uh, with my gigs and and uh, just let it sit and simmer. Um, I, I Jerry, um, my producer for this album sort of pushed me a little bit on some of those he was like yeah sometimes you know you those first early versions are the best you know and i was like i don't know about that you know so we but uh but i like to yeah i like to uh test it out uh and some uh at some gigs and then okay yeah it's starting to it's starting to solidify into a an entity you know in and of itself and so um uh, I, I know I've read that Dylan uh, sometimes even after he's recorded songs, he's like, "Ah, that I'm gonna change that chorus, or I'm gonna change that line in that song," and <laughs> so he feels like they're never finished. But uh, and I've you know so uh, I've done that before too. You know, like yeah, but um, yeah. So if I can play it comfortably at a show and feel like yeah yeah and feel good about it then then i feel like it's it's in a place now where i can uh it's ready you know uh, it goes in the list of uh things that may may go on the next record you know okay now uh having a good song is is half the equation uh the other half is going into the studio and creating its identity um, not only of the song, but of you as an artist. It's it's an art form in itself. Uh, yeah. And every artist has their way of, of working in that environment to capture their sound. Uh, what is your process when you get into the studio that allows you to capture the sound you're looking for? Um, well, I'll have to, you know, um, it's been different for different projects with this album um this album is leaps and bounds over anything i've done before and um it's um i you know um what we do is jerry has me uh sing the song uh to a click track um and he'll he will double check with me is this the form is this the form that you want uh and i'll say well you know on that chorus when we go back to the the final verse should i 
pause there, a couple of measures, you know, and we'll have little conversations about that sort of, just the, the logistics of, of the transitions and things. And so then, uh, then we will work on that for a little while. And then he'll say, is this, is this the, the format that you want? You know, and I'll say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy with that. And then we start, um, bringing the guys in and, and, uh, and we just build it from there. And, uh, I, I'd never done, I, I prefer the old days. We, we, you know, I had a band, we, you know, we put down drums and bass first and then go from there. But he's got, we've got pros who can come in there and play to a click track guitar with vocal and uh good grief you know it's just it's, it's just sounds incredible so okay um, well let's talk about those um who's the, what's the lineup on this oh my gosh we've we've brought in some some i call heavy hitters uh rob ladd uh is playing drums on six of the songs um he is uh currently playing with the Connells based out of Raleigh um, they were an 80's uh, college radio band and uh, friends of mine and uh, he's, they've gotten back together and touring now and they've got an album out and, but Rob uh, has played he was Don Henley's drummer for a while out in LA and when Don was doing a solo thing he would have Rob play drums and uh, he was on uh, Jagged Little Pill with uh, Alanis Marset, um, nice. and uh, he was also the Red Clay Ramblers drummer uh, for for a while, and so he's got quite a. There's probably a lot more uh, <laughs> folks that he's played with, and he just makes it look so easy. I was just talking to a friend uh, the other day. It's like good grief. You think, oh, golly, and then. As we listen to these songs over and over again, record the drums just right in the pocket. It's perfect. So, uh, and then Robert Sledge of the Ben Folds Five, um, uh, who was a big part of the Ben Folds Five sound because they didn't have a guitar player, and he's a fantastic bass player, and he lives right down the street from the studio. So does Rob, and so (laughs) Rob Ladd. So. So uh, Robert Sledge came in, and he's actually playing a show with us in September. Hello? Yeah, I'm here. Did I? Okay, I hit mute. So anyway, uh, Robert Sledge is um, on seven or eight tracks of the album. And uh, um, then Andrew Marlin, uh, who uh, I just really, really... Uh, I love his music. He's uh, with Mandolin Orange, who are now called Watch House, um, and uh, he's uh, just a great songwriter and singer, and mandolin player, and etc. Um, and so he came in and played mandolin on um, four songs, and um, it was great getting to know him. And now, so like. Uh, we're we're pals now, so uh, that's kind of nice because uh, I really admire everything he does musically. And um, 
So, let's see. Uh, Joseph Terrell from Mipso, a band out of Chapel Hill, Americana band, who really good. And uh, he he came in and did some fantastic backup vocals. Our, to me, I felt like our voices were um, uh, in the same range, and they just blended really nicely. Uh, but he also added some lap steel, and uh, we've got this. Jerry has this 1946, I think, Gibson archtop. Nice. Uh, that that uh, Joseph just knows how to make it work. It just he brings it. He puts these little touches on the song, um, and so he he played on many of many songs on there. And then uh, Lizzie Ross is uh, from a band called Violet Bell, and she's got a gorgeous voice, and her voice ranges, of course, higher, and uh, it was really blended well. And so, and then a buddy of mine, the, the, my friend who introduced me to the Rubber Room and to Jerry Brown, um, Ron Poitras, an old college buddy of mine, is a fantastic songwriter, singer-songwriter, guitarist, and... Uh, he uh, he sings some harmony on it as well. Uh, and then I'm leaving out this, this um, insanely talented 25, 26 year old Joe MacPhail, and he is a keyboard uh, player uh, extraordinaire. And uh, just the maturity of being able to just rip it up if he needs to, but he holds back. In fact, we had to push him, you know, oh, Joe, go crazy on this next track. <laughs> and he, okay, he just wants to honor the, the song and, and play the right parts. So he played Hammond, he played uh, Rhodes, uh, and he played um, uh, Grand Piano on, on uh, several tracks. I think he even played Pump Organ uh, on one. But, uh, yeah, and then he played, he played percussion as well. He played drums on a couple of tracks, so, so, uh, and then Isaac, uh, Durr is, a an assistant there, uh, another young fella in his twenties, is just a great guy and smart as whip. And he played, um, uh, bass on a couple of tracks and he played a high string guitar on a, a track or two. And, uh, yeah, great guy. And, uh, so yeah, it was just a, nice combination of folks we were just uh and then i played several instruments on different you know if we needed to fill something in and jerry played banjo on one song jerry was in a bluegrass band for many years so so anyway okay that's that, that's the, the crew all right and now uh once you get something like this recorded you of course you got to make uh make a team and get it out to radio, get it out to press. And you're working with Adam Dawson from Broken Jukebox Media. Um, tell me a little bit about that relationship. Well, um, the connection was an old buddy of mine that I went to school with many years ago, uh, Henry Kerrigan, uh, up in Chicago. And he writes for No Depression. And he writes for uh, Folk Alley uh, magazines. And he's a uh, he writes uh, he does bios and press releases uh, for different artists and uh, just a gifted writer. 
Uh, he's written a book about gospel music, um, and uh, he, I would give you the title, but I think I'd mess it up, uh, but uh, just also just a wonderful human being, and uh, he's, um, he was, and I started talking uh, several months ago, and um, he was kind of giving me the, the business end of the music business, and I, I was like, you know, I've I've put out these little CDs and I never market them. I just put them up on CD Baby and play my little local gigs. But this time, uh, I can I can take this uh, many steps further, and I'm uh, I'm ready to do that. And so he introduced me to Adam uh, Dawson and uh, spoke very very highly of him. And and uh, so far. Uh, he's lived up to that. He's been great. Uh, uh, and, uh, we've talked a lot on the phone. I've not met him in person, but, uh, but we, we talk a lot on the phone and text and email each other about different things. So, uh, but, uh, he's helped a lot of other people. Um, Wyatt Easterling, uh, Malcolm Holcomb, um, and others. So, um, yeah, okay. um, I'm excited to have him on the team because I am not good at that stuff, and I need somebody who is. <laughs> now, um, getting it out there, um, the industry has changed so much. Uh, you know, I guess when you and I were younger, music was a tactile experience. We, you know, went out and we bought a physical product. We, we put it on the turntable. We you know we read the liner notes there was there was a very hands-on thing it was an active mm-hmm. experience today it's more of a passive experience i think people are creating soundtracks to their life as opposed to physically listening to music and they've really embraced streaming as a way to uh consume music because it's it's easier it's convenient it's cheap and they don't have to store anything. It's you know, it's at their fingertips. If they hear about an mm-hmm. artist, they look them up. They listen. If they like them, they add them to their playlist. If they don't, they move on. Right. But the problem is, is that the consumer no longer now looks at recorded music as a product. It's not something to purchase. It's now a service. They expect it on their phone. Um, mm-hmm. How has this perception by the consumer affected you as an artist? Um, well, um, I'm, I have been baffled about uh, what to do because I, um, you know, I was surprised that uh, Adam suggested we we make CDs. I said, who, who has a CD player <laughs> anymore? And he said, well, uh, a lot of folks in media and a lot of folks on radio still want physical copies. And I said, good for them. That is great. Because <laughs> there's something about that that you, you know. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's, uh, I don't sell too many CDs at shows right now, but, uh, uh, that, you know, I'm not, I'm not a salesman. So I don't push them. I will tell people I've, I've got stuff for sale here. Uh, but uh, um, so um, yeah, and it, and it's also this thing of how do you get all the listens? And so I'll joke with the audience about uh, um, 
Yeah, put me on. You know, find me on Spotify because I've got a, I've got some music up there. Uh, I've released one. Yeah, you know, released one song uh, from the album before the rest of the album, and uh, put yourself in my shoes. And so I was telling people, you know, uh, oh, you know, if you want to just put it on repeat, that'd be great. Maybe I'll make two or three dollars. <laughs> so I'll make a joke out of it. But uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's a strange. Um, business right now. Oh uh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean the, you know the the streaming um, streaming has is like a double edged sword. I mean you have this access to a huge potential market that you would not normally have had access to before, especially with their discovery matrix and and algorithms and so on and so forth. And if you get on right. one of their big playlists. You know, it could, you know, add up, you know, to a lot of spins. But the problem yeah. is, is that they're not compensating the independent artists properly for their content. Um, you know, they went to the, you know, the record companies went to Spotify and Pandora and all these streaming services, created their own deals and left whatever was left to the independent artists. And if you really look at it logically bulk of their content really comes from the independent artists. So, you know, this is not a sustainable business model if you look at it logically because if an independent artist can no longer afford to go into the studio and record a new project and at least by any account at least come out and break even on the recorded project then it becomes difficult to justify going into the studio and creating new music. So that really hurts the industry as a whole. What do you think needs to happen to kind of right that ship? Oh my gosh, I wish I could I wish I could uh, be that uh, person who could figure it out. I, I do think um, um, getting more um, money per per play uh, would would make make some sense uh, make a lot of sense but uh, uh, I mean it's called it sort of laughable at this point uh, uh, and um, you know a lot there's this thing where like for example mandolin uh, excuse me watch house just recently released uh, a uh, an acoustic album uh, for that was the album that they released it as a band a year a year ago. So they released it. So you know I can go on Bandcamp and buy it from even though I can hear it for free. And so that's just a an act of fandom, you know <laughs> that that there are artists who have fans who will do that for you you know they say well i know i can get it free but i want to i want to pay for it because we we like you and we, we want to support you um but you know that's you know that's just not enough uh for somebody you know especially somebody for me who's trying to to kind of crack that that egg or whatever you want to call it <laughs> Well, you know, I, I read this article in Billboard about um, they looked at the music industry 
And of the billions of dollars that it generates, only 12% gets back to the artists themselves. And that's even the wow. And you look at the sports industry, you know, they're getting 40 to 50% of the incoming revenue going back to the performers within that industry. Uh, and I call them performers because that's what they're doing. Yeah, um, sure. Now, if you if you look at it, you know, the music industry, the reason that we're having such an issue is that there is too many middlemen. This industry is glutted with all these people sticking their hand out for a piece of the pie, whether it's, um, you know, uh, aggregators, distributors, uh, venues, uh, even, um, uh, you know, uh, the streaming services, yada, yada. We need to, there's a movement, at least now, that I'm seeing where they want the music industry to kind of move to a decentralized kind of system. And one of the vanguards of this is these new blockchain-based streaming services, which is the technology that, that made cryptocurrency secure and a reality. And they've adopted that to the music industry whereby it's decentralized in that no company can control it and it's really controlled by the fans and by the artists so it's a direct relationship between fans and artists and uh, like a, a service like Audius they're claiming that they're going to be able to return to the artist between 80 and 90% of the incoming revenue back to those content creators and the fact that, you know, you can't negotiate a new deal because there's no central ownership. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. What do you mm -hmm. think of that as being a potential future for the music industry in going into this decentralized uh, kind of system? I, I, I love it. I just wonder how you're going to stop artists from... You know, Spotify is such a big player. Uh, the others are, are big, too, Apple and, uh, and so on. Uh, but g getting them to change uh, without legislation, you know, I guess. Uh, well, you know, if you, uh, you kind of look at the last 20 years, 25 years, you know, we started with Napster. And everyone said, oh, Napster oh, is right. so huge and you're never going to stop people from file sharing. Well, right. then along came iTunes, and everyone was downloading singles, and, oh, it's Apple. Yeah. We'll never unseat iTunes. It's going to be here forever. And <laughs> right? then, you know, along came, you know, Pandora. Then along came uh, Spotify. So I don't really believe that there's any one delivery system for music that will survive the next iteration. You know, uh -huh. streaming mm -hmm. must evolve no matter how yes. we slice this pie because like mm -hmm. you know i had said earlier this is not a sustainable model we need uh, to yeah. find a sustainable model to continue doing what we do as artists and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if spotify does not adapt then they're going to fall and the next thing's mm. going to come up like, you know, Audius is run just like Spotify. It's a streaming service. You can put together playlists. You can, you know, they have their algorithm where you can discover new artists and so on and so forth. So mm -hmm. it would be 
a simple transition. It's just a matter of getting the large artists to move their content over to this and bring their fan bases with them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, that sounds like that. That makes a lot of sense. And and um, yeah, that's that's one. Okay. Um, I I think it would be um, advantageous because you, you know it is it is unreasonable right now, and you're right, it is unsustainable. Right. Um, so I I love it. I'm all for that. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, um, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking with us. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, we're going to give everyone out there a double shot from your new release. And uh, I'm telling you guys, turn this up loud. Screw those neighbors. We're going to have some fun tonight. <laughs> well, this has been a, a lot of fun for me as well. I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, My I'd pleasure. love to come back. Sometime. You got it. <laughs> right. Thank you so much. Then I turned it off Faced around the kitchen Went out Ended up downtown Stopped at the coffee shop Didn't need the caffeine Besides, it was rather hot What do you do when your sweetheart's out of town? Read a novel Got a little annoyed By the main protagonist Created by Khan So I opened up my notebook and Started writing a song Didn't think I'd miss her quite this much But I was wrong What do you do when you're feeling kind of down And there's not too much fun to be found What do you do when your sweetheart's out of town?
distraction She was on my mind Way off in Alaska While I'm in Caroline Wishing I could talk to her But no service for her phone So I gathered up my things Headed back What do you do when you're feeling kind of down? There's not too much fun to be found Yeah, what do you do when your sweetheart's out of town? For you it was all a game But you forgot to read me any other rules So what do I do with all of this pain And what do I do with you and these blues You were so intent on trying to convince me Our love was higher than the whole damn sky And out of the abyss you just dismissed me Now it cuts me like a complicated lie Put yourself in my shoes for a minute Maybe you'll find just how it feels seen just a little schizophrenic Cause you don't really recognize my pain is real Put yourself in my shoes Put yourself in my shoes your life like it's all a little comedy Now you've made a tragedy out of mind Can you feel what your little fun has done to me Wish I could grieve and leave it all behind Put yourself in my shoes for a minute find just how it feels Maybe it'll seem just a little schizophrenic Cause you don't really recognize my pain is real Put yourself in my shoes Put yourself in my shoes I was all set Long before I met you 
Then you overwhelm me like a whirlwind You were pursuing me and proving you were true to me Then you say you gotta walk away in the air Put yourself in my shoes for a minute Put yourself in my shoes for a while Maybe it'll seem just a little schizophrenic Maybe it'll seem just a little wild Put yourself in my shoes Put yourself in my shoes Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Make you shout now, honey. 